0: Welcome to the Adoption Journey Podcast. It's your host, Tarsha Smith, and I want to welcome you to yet another week of your favorite adoption podcast. In the building, I am too excited to welcome Coco. Hey, Coco. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. She is another fellow adoptee, and you know how we do this. She's going to tell us our story, and we're just going to... Take her lead. All right, Coco. So one of the things out the gate, tell us your story and to include how old you were when you found out and how you found out. Okay. Let's do this. um, I don't exactly know
1: how old I was when I found out, to be honest with you. like I've always known. And so we'll kind of dive into that a little bit later as to... When I started to explore more about my adoption, my adoptive brother told me that he thinks that I was more told by proximity so that I didn't really have like a sit down conversation with my parents. It was more like they told him or my my adoptive mother told him and then he and my sister, my adoptive sister, like told me somehow. Because I don't have any recollection of knowing or finding out when I was adopted. I just know that I've always known.
0: Okay. Are these siblings biological to you? Or are no they adopted also?
1: So I have quite the interesting family. So we've got some kinship adoption. We've got some domestic adoption as well. And then my adoptive father has a biological son. So we were all kind of like mixed up in there.
0: See, that's why I bought my tea.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like you know, I'm <laughs> at the black adopt tea, okay? Because the tea is hot. Um, so just to kind of start out with my story, I, growing up, my adoptive mother had really strong feelings about us talking about our adoption. So, it wasn't something that we were really allowed to speak about openly. Um, why? Do you know this, why? Um, I'm going to go as far as to say, like, with a lot of adoptive parents, um, and especially like in the Black community, we were just wanted, made to blend in. Gotcha. And that was sort of the sentiment that was given to us. Like, you don't talk about this. Um, We don't need people in our business. Mm. So it was really a lot of stuff like that, um, where she just, you know, didn't um, want us to speak about it. Probably had some shame around her own infertility experiences and just really felt strongly about us not openly speaking about. And this went for even like our family. So we weren't allowed to like, Talk about it within our family. We weren't allowed to talk about it, um you know, with our like outside of our family, like, you know, my uncles, cousins, and stuff like that. So we just was all
0: that a, we could And your want. mother adopted three kids. Did I understand? So, oh, okay. Yes. Wait, let me just wait for the tea. Okay. So let me wait. Let me see. It's, just,
1: it's always interesting to break this down. So I'm adopted, I was in a um, domestic adoption. And then I have an adopted brother as well, who is also a domestic um, adoption, closed, both closed adoptions. Then I have a sister um, who I call her my sister because that's all I know her by. Um, But she's actually my mom's, uh, my adoptive mother's biological niece. And then later on, she and my dad, my adoptive dad um, adopted or they didn't technically adopt. So they were, they did legal guardianship with my sister. And then they took in her biological brother, like when he was in sixth grade or something like that. It was around that time. Oh, and nice so, to. And then my, my dad, um, had a biological son. So Ooh. real kind of mixed up in there. Yeah, Um, definitely. Lots of dynamics going on. Absolutely. Yes. And so, like I said, like growing up, we weren't really allowed to talk about it. So I didn't explore it necessarily. Um, You know, just like all adoptees, I think always have like thoughts about um, adoption, like thinking, you know, where am I from? Where do I get these features from? Because one thing was my adoptive mother is like very light skinned, like very, very, very light skinned. So it's not like I looked like her. And then my adoptive father is, although he's darker, he doesn't look like me. So, um, yeah. So it was kind of like, we were just, and the odd thing is, is that my, my, my adoptive brother and sister are the same age, except like they're like a month apart. So a lot of times um, people would be like, are y'all twins? But they look like literally nothing alike. So it was always kind of hard to explain that to people or just kind of like dodge that question because, um, but people knew that she was my mom's niece. It just, they didn't know that we were adopted. Um, so that kind of was a hard dynamic, like growing up. And one thing is, is that I grew up in Orange County, California. So, a little small town called Brea. Nobody usually knows where that is.
0: Um, and it's yeah. a
1: predominantly white community. So, okay. I grew up in an all white community. Um, my dad played in the NFL. So, um, you know, they had a little bit of money to be able to live in this community. And um, I grew up around all white people. So. Oh, did I? Okay, so that was an experience just in and of itself, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, being adopted, growing up in this white community. Um, And it really wasn't until I would say I was about 18 years old when I had more questions about like being adopted, Um, when I met
0: a person, another adopted individual. And they was told that me your first time meeting, a, I mean, outside of your family, was that your first time meeting another? Yeah. It was okay. my first time
1: having any contact with any other adopted individual besides my brother, um, which, again, we didn't talk about adoption. So, it. Right. So it was like that experience opened my eyes to a lot of things. It gave a lot of context to a lot of the questions that I had, and I got really curious. And this was, again, like when I was about 18 years old. So when that happened, I reached out to, um, so my adoptive mother always told us, like, if you want to know anything, like, here's this, um, there's this letter in my drawer, and if you ever want to read it, like, you can read it. Mm -hmm. So I went rifling through her stuff, um, looked at the letter, found the name of the social worker who worked on my case, found that I was at. Um, Orangewood, which is an orphanage in Orange County. And I like reached out to, to Orangewood to see if that social worker was still working and if they knew anything about my biological family. Well, I got a letter from... Um, actually, it wasn't a letter. I, I spoke with someone, like a social worker, and they sort of gave me like a warning about opening Pandora's box and they use mm. that phrase and they're like, you know, I know this seems like a good idea, but when you go down this road, you want to be really careful about opening Pandora's box because like once you open it, you can't go back. And ooh, hindsight is twenty twenty because... <laughs> because... <laughs> I'm telling you, that was really probably. I needed to heed that advice, but I didn't. Of course. At the time, I did actually. At the time, it actually scared me. I was like, okay, maybe this isn't a good idea. So I actually went quite some time without like looking for people, doing any of that stuff. And then I would say I got to about. 24, 24, 25 years old. And someone sent me a message like, Hey, is this you? This really looks like this could be your sister. And it, it looked exactly like me. Right. And I was like, this is crazy. Like this person, whoever it was looked exactly like. me. And at that time, again, my interest was peaked, So I was like, you know what, maybe it's time to look and, and, and try to figure some of this out. But unfortunately, like I didn't have any information. Like 1981 yeah. closed adoption. You're not getting no info. Basically, didn't right. have names, any of that stuff. So fast forward um, to another like 10 years when I was about, I would say it was about 34, 32, 33, 34, somewhere around there. You are
0: and, really sitting on this, like, yeah because yes. uh, you have to <laughs> understand too like
1: when again this whole idea of like going against your parents you know I didn't want to go against my parents and right. when I tell you that like my mom had like very strong feelings about this like I remember yeah. this one time my brother one of his girlfriends like bought him a book about adoption and she like lost her mind and this was like in her later in his life like he was probably like in his 20s or something like that and so I understand yeah Yeah. you know what I didn't want to like upset her you know we spend our lives like people pleasing you know what I mean so it's like I don't want to upset her so fast forward in my 30s I dated a psychotherapist right fun times and dating (laughs) dating this psychotherapist really they were kind of like you know what you might want to look into this. Like this might be affecting you a lot more than you think. It is. Yeah. So, yeah. So at that point I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a deep dive. And, and I did. So I hired a private investigator. Um, his name is Jay and I always butcher his last name. Um, so I won't say his last name, but his name is Jay. He runs a website called the Birthfinder. Shout out to the Birthfinder. Oh. If if
0: you he just met. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> He's
1: so awesome. And he sort of has like a knack. I I, I saw him actually on a show I forgot which show it was but it was like Evelyn uh, Lozado you know from the basketball wives like she was finding her paternal grandfather he helped her and everything so I look him up and it just so happens that he like is willing to help a lot of adopted people for like a nominal fee yeah. so at the time like he was he was so cool and he was like I can help you so Again, very limited information. Like I knew that I was um, born at Hawaiian Gardens Hospital, which no longer is there, um, mm-hmm. right outside of Long Beach. Um, you know, obviously I knew what year I was born. Um, and he has access to something that's called the birth index. So the birth index is basically a record of all babies born at all hospitals, like all over the country. And him having access to that, he was able to find what my last name was, which I had never heard of it, never known it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the story that I had heard my whole life was that my my biological mother was 16 years old. Um, she couldn't keep me, um, that I was from the Virgin Islands. So there's was like a lot of misinformation in there. And... So Jay went digging. Unfortunately, he was came up against a lot of walls. So he suggested that I take a DNA test. And obviously, like, lots of um, adopted people take DNA tests. And it's literally, like, the floodgates open. So take the DNA test. Results come back. And literally within 48 hours, he had unraveled, like, this whole story.
0: And he had found... My biological family and the crazy. Let me let me let me stop yeah. you. Let me. You're you're helping me because I have found my maternal side, but I'm getting ready to take the DNA test with him for okay. my paternal side. So is this what I have to?
1: Yes, like he's okay. really good, and he's like a renowned private. Yeah, I, I, like yeah, we've
0: talked.
1: yeah, yeah. Like- going the, out of the country finding people like doing all kinds of stuff like he's really good at, at what he does
2: and okay. and actually he's
1: he's actually interviewed me um a couple times so it's it's he's really cool so once that happened um he what what it was was I matched with like a few um second cousins and the mm-hmm. crazy part is right now I live in the bay area and it just so happened that those cousins were living in the Bay Area. Like I'm telling you how God works, the universe works like a lot of adoptive people experience this, right? Like this alignment that comes together when it comes to your biological family. Yeah. So they were living out here in the Bay Area. So one of my cousins actually um was like living down the street from where I worked. Wow. And, like a really prominent person like in San Francisco. Um, and really was like, you know, she's well known. And so when I looked her up on Facebook, it, it was, we had a mutual friend. So again, this is all like unbelievable that I have a mutual friend with someone who's my family member. So I reach out to her and I also reach out to one of my other cousins and I give him my spiel. Like, this is my name, you know, um, my last name is bracket. um. My biological last name is um, Found out that actually, if my family, my biological family is from Belize, at least my maternal side, which made such, so much sense, right? Like the way I look, the gap in my teeth, the color of my skin, just so many things made sense when it came to that. And um, so I talked to my second cousin. Wait, 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 hold on. I'm
0: going to ask a question. Okay. Now, were you told the Virgin Islands just, Someone just threw that out there or, or do you even know? That was meant? in my um,
1: non-identifying paperwork. So some social worker conjured up that information. And I, and do you have that paperwork by chance? Yeah. A the line time- actually
0: panned out to be correct, at least on my maternal side. It actually, okay. what was in there was true.
1: So a lot of times there's just like misinformation. In yes, there. I'm yes. learning that. Definitely. So it was like, that was not the case. I think it was just like, okay, we're going to throw Put out some, the you know what I'm saying? A little razzle dazzle Caribbean up in there and it, you'll be okay. So when I found my cousin, um, I called her and I was like, you know, do you know uh, like who my mom is? And, and, and she's like, I don't really know. What well, first I was like, could we be sisters, half sisters? And she was like, honey, I don't know because my dad was a Rolling Stone, so uh- it's a possibility.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a possibility, right? And I was like, and she was open. She was open to talking to you. Yeah, she was super cool. She's so cool.
1: I love her. Love her. And so that was like she just didn't really know a lot. Um, right. And then there was another cousin that I reached out to via inbox, and so I gave her my spiel. Let her know what I was doing. And she was like, um, can you call me? Then, like, it was, like, the next day, right? So all this happened. Out. I was at work. I'll never forget this. And I start Googling, Googling, Googling. And my partner at the time, like, he was helping me out. And he's like, I think I found who your mom is, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, like, no way. And um, so... Jay, I was talking to Jay and Jay's like, I think I found your mom. Like I, and so I'm like, okay. And he was like, so what he does is like, he's like a middleman. So he likes, right. he's like, a, you know, he's, tries so to soften things for people. So he'll go from the guise of like, Hey, this person's looking for you. They really just want medical information. Sometimes that kind of puts people at ease. Right.
2: Right.
1: So apparently she like wanted nothing to do with it. And, um, she, he, I remember driving home that day and I like, talking to him on the phone and he was like, she was really upset like that, like that you found her. Um, and she was willing to give me like, you know, three medical information, but like, she really just does not want anything to do. You with know, was crying, crying, crying on the phone. And Jay being like, "Mm, that's her loss. Like he's, he's really good. He's like a coach too. Yeah. So he really like empowered me around that. So that night I went home and my cousin, her name is Joy. Um, she had asked me to reach out to her. So when I reached out to her, that was when everything came together. And what my understanding was of the story was that nobody knew about me and and this is still true okay this is like was family 30, secret yeah thirty six <laughs> like i'm forty two. this was like years ago, and um, she basically told me that my biological mother went through like some pretty horrible traumas around my inception. and it sounds like um my biological father was a really bad person and that there was like a whole scandal in Belize around like what happened to her and other Belizean women that were terrorized by um, essentially like a gang of individuals called the Bishop brothers. So Mm -hmm. um, apparently she was sexually assaulted and, um, and so you know, ba- at the time, like, back in the 80s, that was, like, a very Catholic country. mm mm-hmm. um, So, it sounds like she came over to the United States with uh, my grandmother and um, to, like, have the baby, do the whole adoption thing, and then the rest of her siblings stayed in Belize with um, my grandfather as well. Okay. So... This was like when I was talking to Joy, she was like crying. She was like, oh my God, I cannot believe this. I remember back to like that summer when she was, you know, or um, actually that spring when she was 16 years old and um, she like, you know, she wore baggy clothes. Like I I figured that something had was going on with her, but nobody could figure out like what was going on with her. And Mm -hmm. then also it sounds like she had a really hard life. Like she never got married. She was never like in any types of relationships.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: And then I get the sense that she maybe struggled maybe with like substance abuse, depression, like things like that. So um, Joy was like, you know, she gave me a lot of context to the story. Um, Just really kind of filling in a lot of holes for me. Um, And then she connected me to my biological uncle, which is my um, bio mom's brother. brother. So that was a hard, that was hard because when I spoke to him. Was he open to talking to you? He was, he was a little hesitant at first. Like he was, yeah. big, he was really like, just trying to see if I was going to go take my story to Oprah or something like that. Like he was oh. really, yeah, he was. Um, and, and very protective, you know, they were like a really yeah. close tight knit family. So he's really protective, like over his sister and essentially told me, like, don't go rocking that boat. He And he was really um, adamant about that. Like, that's not going to be good. Like, you found the best two people in the family. Like, trust me. And for a while
0: I was, I accepted that. And then it yeah, I want to ask you that because I've been told that too. I've heard that same sentiment, like why do you keep digging? What are you looking for? Why are you asking? What, tell me what that feels like for you.
1: At the time. So the people pleaser in me was like, okay, you know, at, at first when I found them, I'm like, gosh I'm so happy like you know I finally found family like we all look alike I mean when I tell you I'm the spitting image of my auntie like her sisters like I mean we could be twins so that also was um scary um personal. Yeah, weird it's, it's weird. very weird right and, yeah. and the thing is, is I have a biological son um and he was like my first known relative you know like he's my first blood relative like yeah you know we look alike but it's different it's very different so yeah that really like at first I was okay with it and then I don't know who got in my ear about it somebody must mess- so I was able to like be processing that at the same time And during that time, like, I just, I got upset. Like I was enraged that like they Mm -hmm. were asking me after all this time to essentially like deny myself, deny what was going on. And it was my, I'm the child. Right. So I felt like it's not, that's not my burden to carry. Like I should be able to do this. I should be able to talk to her, you know, um, approach or whatever without people trying to like run interference i just
0: it felt like really really unfair i think that's a good way to put it i should Mm -hmm. be able yeah i like that i should be able to ask these questions because i'm a
2: child in this exactly and And i I, I was innocent it's, uh, it's
0: unfortunate that um i feel like the birth parents and even the birth family those that know and especially that were born around the time that we were um because I was in seventy five, so I'm not that much older. But yeah. that sentiment that, um, all right, this is gonna happen, and we're gonna give this baby up for adoption.
1: And like I was never just <laughs> a ray; like it was. And so- it's like
0: God, oh. like never. And so it's real. It's like they're shocked. Oh yeah. And the adoptees pop back up, and like in something that I have heard that is in line with every adoptee I've talked to. When we start unraveling, it goes like this. It happens so fast, and everything mm-hmm. starts lining up. Yes, and so yeah, and it did. I mean, it re- like
1: remember they didn't know, and there was also like so many other layers to this story, like and what happened to her. So they didn't know about me. That the her brother didn't know about me. However, they always suspected. I think they always suspected something happened to her and then they just turned a blind eye. So she came
0: to the United States with her mom and her siblings didn't even know what was happening?
1: No. Wow. No. They stayed over in Belize. And so they came over like at a later time and they, um, there was at the time, I think there's two sisters and yeah. And then Dan, the brother. So they didn't know anything you know and she had that body type where like you know when you're younger if you have a kid like you bounce right back so nobody bounce ever bounce really back is
0: real yeah so nobody like <laughs> really
1: questioned it they just sort of like let life go on right so fast forward um i was really upset and i stopped talking to my uncle dan like i blocked him i was like you know what F this, like, this is not, this is not the energy that, that I want. And I really started to, like, dive into my platform, right? So I started the Black Adoptee with the EA. Um, I started advocating for people, talking to people, um, coaching people, um, and really just kind of, like, speaking out against adoption and then, like, just some of the things that we go through as Black adoptees. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is is different than transracial Black adoptees, right? Like, it's a very different experience. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a one that not enough people talk about because there wasn't a lot of people, Black people that were adopting back in, in those times. You know, if you were adopted, like, as a Black kid, it was like, it was like a hush-hush because it was something
0: odd. Like, it wasn't normal to see. So, right. Yeah. And then you don't talk about it. And then look, we're in 2023 and they're almost still not talking about it. Hello. Exactly. (laughs) So it it was like, I wanted to really like use
1: my platform to like speak up and and really talk about like what my experience was. And and I've met so many amazing adoptees like who share the same kind of like stories and share some of the same feelings. Um, And, you know, I, so I have a relationship with my cousin, some of my cousins. And one of my cousins, like she thought it was like really important for her to like tell my story, which so one, is- of the, one of the things um, I do feel strongly about is like adoptees telling their own story and not other people feeling like they can tell their story for them.
2: Mm. and
1: one of the things that she did unfortunately was go and like kind of force feed me to um like my biological mother's sisters and that just didn't go over well they were like we don't care who this person is we don't want to talk to her we don't want to see her and Mm. they cut me off and at the time I remember I was like Kind of like, I, I'm going to use this loosely, but like following, stalking, like my biological auntie, because I just was like curious, you know, and yeah. I followed her like her posts and she, you know, she would like some of my stuff and she didn't know who I was. I'm sure she probably looked at me like, "Hey, she looks, why she looks so much like me, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, and then when that happened, she blocked me. And so that was really hurtful. They kind of blocked her out of the family, my cousin, because she was like, you know, trying to advocate for me. And it was really, it was just a really, really hard situation. Um, And in that time, like my biological grandmother passed away. So I never got to see her. I never got to talk to her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think she would have wanted to know me. You know, I think she, she would have wanted to and she took essentially like took that to her grave. Like yeah. this idea that she, you know, helped my biological mom like hide all this stuff. So that was really hard. That was really a hard situation. Um, so lots of therapy. <laughs> lots of
0: therapy. Yeah, like
1: lots of therapy. I,
0: I, I'm I'm just trying to process your aunts. Mm-hmm. Um I guess the whole family just was hurt by this situation yes and you popping back up kind of just brought up these feelings Mm -hmm. but on the flip side of that I just don't I guess I just don't understand why people have a hard time understanding when the child pops back up like you are just a product of what happened. You are not the one that did these things. Right. And so it's just hard for me to understand why people get so angry. Like, you know, I guess it's, you know, it's twofold. Like it's the hurt, but you're still a human being. I'm still here. And regardless of how you got here, I am still a part of, I'm a part of you. Yeah, I am blood. I am your daughter. I'm your niece. I'm your cousin, granddaughter. All of that. All
1: of that. that. Yes. So painful to like such an such a shared experience with other adoptees. Like, and it's like that secondary uh, rejection. You know, like that was something else that I had to really face at that point in my life. Dang, you know, why is this person like rejecting me again? I spend all this time and energy, and you know you have like, um, what is it, the ghost kingdom, right? When you're younger, you, um, you, you know, fantasize about like what it's going to be like to find your biological parents, who they're going to be, and. You know, they're gonna be these sweet people, and they're gonna love me, and they're gonna open me. You know, and they're gonna yeah, they're gonna
0: be like, "Hey, girl." <laughs> and it, it might not me. always go like that. <laughs>
1: like that, you know, it was not like that at all. And granted, like I've I've met some great people out of that, and I love my cousins; they're amazing, but they're not my mom. You know, and that part hurts.
0: But you know something else I found too, I, and what's true for me, like I have met my biological mom but my relationship with her versus with my biological brothers which i found which they Mm. didn't know anything about me when i found them oh wow yeah because i am baby number two of yeah and so um and cousins and Mm -hmm. aunts like i found them and then my birth mother i think had it been the other way around i don't know how it would have gone Yeah. Yeah. And, but my relationship with my brothers is very different than yeah. that of my mother. My mother too, I believe has experienced a lot of trauma behind the birth of me, even the birth of my brother and just yeah. things that she went through, substance abuse, yeah, all that. So and so when I, when we speak, it's still very surface level mm-hmm. and I found yeah. them in 2012 Oh, wow. That's a long time. Yeah. It's not like I just popped up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I think I I have come to the terms with, you know what, this is hard for her. Yes. Yes. And I just have to be okay with that.
1: That's something that I worked a lot on was uh, forgiveness, right? And forgiving her. And also like, um, As someone who's going to be a future therapist, future counselor, um, I really sort of delved into like understanding like where she was. And a lot of times we get, we get trapped um, at the age of our like traumas. Right. So Mm -hmm. she was 16 when this happened to her 15, 16, when this happened to her, her mind is trapped there. And I'm sure she's not done the work in order to, Unlock her mind, you know, to really get to that space. And so when she heard about me, boom, it took her right back. Took her right back, you know, and everything that happened. And this was like something really heinous, like really heinous, that happened to her. Um, And I didn't find out even more about that until later when I reconnected with my uncle and. Oh, you he, reconnected. I did reconnect with him. Um, it was like maybe it was during COVID. Um, so it wasn't that long ago, maybe like a year and a half ago. Um, and I just really wanted to know about my biological father's side. And sometimes, you know, the story gets so convoluted that you don't know.
0: Really I, jumped in Pandora's mind. I did.
1: <laughs> Let me tell you, I did. And, it was not again no bueno. Like it was not oh. good. But, so I basically I um I, I knew another adoptee who's a genealogist. She's amazing. A shout out to Angra. So she helped me You know, you get your DNA, but it's sometimes it's hard to kind of go through it and like really understand, like, what's a second cousin? What is something first removed and all this stuff? So she really went through all my information with a fine tooth comb. And her first like advice was like, maybe you should just revisit it. Maybe you should just kind of ask them if they know any information. So I remember I was on my way to Seattle to meet another adoptee who I adore, by the way, Sean. And I go to, um, I'm getting ready to go. And I had texted him like a real kind of like, well, I crazy. I was, I was like, you know how it gets? I was like, hey, like, you know, I just want this information. You know, I don't want anything else. Like, if you don't give me this information, then I'm essentially going to like go public with this whole entire story. <gasps> I did. I was, like, it was a whole- <laughs> He was like, "I don't take kindly to threats, and like, I'll be sure to like send this to the police." And I'm like, "Send what to the police? What, and what I'm to like, the police?" do yeah. at Come on, man. Like, nah. So, so when he said that, like, we're kind of going back and forth via text, and then he called me like out of the blue. So I answered the phone, and he was like really upset and we had this like really emotional conversation and i'm like what happened like why are you guys so like like touchy around this you know like what really happened and i had known some stuff here and there just from like being on message boards for belize like and belize city is very small very very small so there. okay so everybody yeah. knows everybody and apparently, like, people really knew this story about, like, what happened. And so he was just like, I don't know. But I sensed that he knew more than he was, like, he was saying. And um, and so I had gotten some information from, like, another cousin. Um, and they had told me that, like, basically the gist of the story, like, right. they party that she went to, like um and you know, like things went bad and then they maybe there's some kind of ransom type thing in there and so it was like wild so it's like wild story. So him and I like we, we started talking and then one Sunday um like I just asked him like do you know this name? Like who are the Bishop brothers? Like you know, are they like Because I also heard that they were, like, a gang. So Mm -hmm. it was hard to know, like, really ascertain, like, okay, are they a gang? Is this their real last names? Like, what is it? So he was just like, I don't know. And he was really upset. And then he just, like, told me the whole story. And so he essentially carried this for, like, years. Like, this really immense guilt, probably still has it, for what had happened to his sister while... Like, he, she was supposed to be on his watch, basically.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. So
1: he never, I don't think he ever really, like, forgave himself for that. And then, again, like, to have me come out of all of that. Um, okay, Well, who
0: are the Bishop Brothers?
1: Well, I'm, so I'm still trying to figure all of that out. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, so I never, you know, uh, with reunion, it's tricky. Like I go back and forth, you know, and I think you have to have the bandwidth for it. So for me, like I'll dive in a little bit and then I'll mm, come back out Forget because that. it's Forget like that. I can only it's, do so much. At, I can only take this
0: in teaspoons. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And also okay. my, I've changed my, I've healed a lot. Um, I don't have that sense of urgency, that sense of desire to find anymore because I feel like I'm a whole person, like no matter what and yeah. um knowing that that my biological father was like essentially like a diabolical person um I, it's not something that i necessarily want to go too deep into just yeah. to protect my own spirit and i'll tell you i had this really odd it was so odd conversation this was actually like oh, back in February. And I had put my information on 23andMe. So I just have like, you know, my information on a couple of those sites. And this guy contacted me and he's like, I have reason to believe that our fathers were brothers. And I'm like, why would he send this message to me? Like, that means he must know, like, how does he know, you know, that I'm adopted? Like, Whatever, whatever information. So get on the phone with him. And he is like my second cousin. So there is like, you know, some kind of a link. But it turns out that he didn't know his biological father very well. And mm. the person that, who he was thinking was my, possibly my father, was like my third cousin or, or like my oh, second okay. cousin. Oh, okay. So there is a link he there. He really but... know. Yeah, he didn't really know. But I'm telling you. Talking to him, he was so damn crazy like and I could just figure that out just because of the work I do, you know, <laughs> like I work in mental health, so it's like I can figure that out pretty quickly and Just for having this conversation with him, however, he spoke about like a deep curse like on my father's side of the family, and he and he talked about how this was a part of his life, like how um he he was vague but not and then i was like hold up don't be trying to put that on me because they're not my family you know <laughs> that ain't my curse don't put that on me so i was like, over here saving everything you know <laughs> but you know there's something about dna right and he yeah. said something so poignant to me he was like like we pay for um like the sins of our, of our ancestors. Generational curses. Woo. And I was like, you need to get off my phone. You like,
0: oh, right like, <laughs>
1: know, right now. But it that, stops here. Mean, oh yeah, no, I'm the curse breaker for sure. Yeah. But that also kind of made me, you know, take a step back and be like, I don't know if I want to go too deep into exactly. that. Exactly. like, I don't know.
0: So we gotta loop back around. So you have jumped in, I, and I'm sorry I didn't ask a lot of questions because okay. you had be like. <laughs> Sometimes I'm all over the place. Literally. That's okay, but you did all this, and I know how your adopted mother, her feelings. So can, what's what's Mama saying? So I'm actually
1: no contact with her. So a few years, I would say two years ago. About two years ago, it feels like a while, my adopted brother and I decided that we would remove ourselves from that um, situation. So that was a really hard decision for me. Probably
0: the hardest thing I've ever had to do because that's the only mom that I've ever known. Was it because you went down this reunification or was it other? No,
1: it was because like, she just wasn't a very good mom. And she, I find that there's a, there's a, and I would like to do more research in this area. There's a, a link between narcissism um, and our, and narcissistic qualities. We won't necessarily diagnose it as like straight up narcissistic, but narcissistic tendencies
0: mm-hmm. and adoption. Can you, and, can you, um, can you dive in or touch on that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, growing up, like, I would feel um, like my adoptive mother didn't really like me. Um, I would feel like she didn't mm-hmm. really accept me. Um, she would be like pretty emotionally abusive, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. but, yeah, like at times, just um, just a lot of things over the years that really made me feel like having her in my life wasn't beneficial. Um, and especially like as a child, like, I think like she was very cold, like, um, she would do things like, um, you know, like I said, telling us not to talk about adoption. Um, she almost would act like jealous of me at times when it came to like my adoptive dad, like, uh, she was like sort of the gatekeeper of him and the relationship. So anything was always like facilitated through her. Um, she was like, so you're, I'm I'm sorry.
0: So, so your adopted dad would be okay with talking about it, but she was like, no, he wouldn't
1: be okay with talking about it. But my adoptive dad was like, he's a really good person. Like he's, he's really kind, really, um, um, but also like slightly removed. So your typical, I think, Dad from that era like just goes to work, you know, okay. at
0: work all day,
1: you know. So is it
0: fair to say that if she wasn't how she was about it, then it would have been a whole different story. I tell
1: me and my brother talk about this all the time. Like okay. if she wasn't in the picture, like we would have had an amazing life because she was the one that sort of made things really difficult, um, for all of us. Um and I would say my adoptive dad, like he was just kind of complicit, you know, like um that's something that I've had to like come to terms with. Love him to death. You know, he's always been a good person. And again, I think it's hard to separate this idea of having a good life versus like being taken care of like emotionally, um, like having all your needs met. So People look at us a lot of time, like, "Oh, you guys grew up in Orange County. Oh, you were always like, you know, clothed and fed." And those are important things, but emotionally, we were left out to dry a lot of times, oh. and um, it was it was really hard to to like reconcile that, especially like I, I didn't really understand it until I was an adult and sort of would see these things. And I'm like, wait, hold up. Like, first of all, why are you talking to me like that? Why are you like um, like stonewalling me, you know, a lot of times um, and making me feel always like I'm doing something wrong? Um, and so it was a really hard decision to just um, take a step back from that situation. And did you just view, stop?
0: Talking, or did you say, okay, this is sorry, but this is what it's about? So, the way that it happened was that
1: um I hadn't, like, her and I always had a really labored relationship. So okay. we never had a good relationship. She was gotcha. never, like a, like I said, never like a good mom to me. Like, we didn't talk on the phone. She didn't call me. But things changed a little bit when I had my son. So she want, really wanted to be like a grandparent and so i allowed her to be that um and there was a time where like she got sick but she would also sort of randomly be sick like i felt like she would um get sick and sort of conjure up like um because she wanted like sympathy and stuff like that which is also like a narcissism type thing right so very common so Always wanting, you know, lots of attention. If the attention wasn't on her, then she would be upset. Well, I moved away from um, Southern California like about twelve years ago, and to get separation from her mostly. Mm-hmm. And when I moved away, like I would just have like you know sort of limited interactions. Like I would go home every once in a while and stuff like that. But it was just that. And I remember this one time she got sick, and um, I was at our house, like the house that I grew up in. And I drank like, I don't know, like some some kind of wine or something like drink that she had. And mind you, she was like in the hospital, like we were thinking she was going to die, all this stuff. And the first thing that she did when she came out of the hospital was like, criticize me for like having a drink of like whatever the special drink that she felt like she had. When I was like there for her, like I drove down from, you know, my job, like I took time off, like I was out like pouring in and she was like so upset about that. So that really like triggered me because I was like, this is what you worried about. And then like me, my siblings, like got all into it. And, um, and I was always the one, I was like the black sheep of the family because I would always, um, recognize that things weren't. Right, and I would like tell her about herself, you know. So then I became the person who like had the sharp mouth, or you know, I was always checking was always stirring the pot. <laughs> yeah, that, that was me. That was me. Hey, I'll own it now. I don't care. So I was known as that person, and so her and I would like butt heads a lot. And then finally, when she kind of like pulled that last sort of thing, and I was like, you know what? told her about herself one last time and was like, I'm not, I can't deal with you anymore. And on, and on the heels of that, I don't know if it was before or after, I think it was um, somewhere in between there, but like my brother, he was having like similar problems with her and Mm -hmm. was like, you know, starting to speak up for himself. And when he started to speak up for himself, that's when things changed and she like got really upset. So I'm not sure what exactly the incident was specifically that culminated in all this, but I just remember she cut me off. This is a a lot of things that people don't understand about the story, but I don't try to tell people or write the story or tell, you know, because it's my story and what people think really doesn't matter to me. But she actually cut me off. I just told her, stand 10 toes down. You're not going to throw me away anymore. You're not going to cut me off anymore and think that I'm going to come back. And that was the last of it. And so she tried, like, she tried little things like send my son some gifts and, you know, do some like manipulative stuff. But I was just like, you know what, this is, it's time. Like spirit is calling me to make this, this change in my life. And unfortunately at the time, my father was already, um, like had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So it was, uh, he was already kind of slipping away. Like Last time I saw him, like, he knew us and recognized us, but he was going down that path. Yeah. And when I made the decision to stop talking to her, like, she blocked me from talking to him, speaking to him. Um, Yeah. So I kind of, like, lost both of them at the same time, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was rough. It was really rough
0: yeah especially it seems like you know you would like to have that relationship at least with your dad
1: I love my dad my dad mm. I love my dad so much I posted about this the other day about how it's hard you know to grieve a parent that's alive um mm. and people who go no contact obviously yeah can probably attest that. to this like how it's a special kind of hell to have to grieve somebody who's still alive because your brain, you know, that attachment wants to reconnect with them. Even with my mom, like I love her, you know, I've always loved her, Um, but I know what's best for me now. So I don't, I don't try to go back and I pray about it. You know, I call her back to me in those ways and also like pray for my dad Um, and if she ever reached out or whatever, like maybe the door would be open, she would have to come correct. But like, yeah, I don't have any animosity towards her because I think that not enough people talk about, um, what adoptive mothers go through and infertility and how that, um, you know, how we become a perpetual reminder of that. And so, um, and if you don't deal with that, that trauma, then that can be projected onto your adoptive kids. That's what I felt my whole life is this projection of I'm not really probably the baby that you really wanted. You wanted your own, and that can be said, you know. Like, oh,
2: that can ooh, be ooh, talk about.
1: Um, and I think one time I said, That I is a deep statement?" It is. Good. And, and, and a lot of people don't want to talk about, they don't want to admit that. A lot of adoptive parents is like, "Oh oh, I love you, oh you're no." But we can talk about what brought us to this point, especially when it has to do with infertility. And I, I, I made this analogy one time that sometimes being an adoptive child feels like being the understudy to a dead baby, because we are constantly... You know, and you know what an understudy is there to fill in, right? And so for me, I felt that. I felt that stress my whole life. And the the body keeps a store, great book, stays in me, trapped in me, all over. And I was never able to release that until I was able to start talking about how these things affected me really deeply,
2: really deeply.
0: And now I have said that adoptive parents, birth parents, even adoptees, you know, definitely should have access to free therapy because it's a lot. It is a lot. But never ever have I heard anybody until right now say that feeling like the understudy. Yes.
1: They need to offer like family therapy to adoptive families because I think that family therapy is really helpful and really useful. Like, yes, we need individual therapy. But a lot of times it's the dynamics that go on in adoptive families that really break down adoptees is how many different dynamics do you have? Again, we had biological sibling, you know, or we had a, my dad's biological son, then my mom's, she was her biological niece. So even though that wasn't her daughter, she still had a genetic mirror. she still had a genetic family to have reference to and she knew who her mom was and everything that her mom was around at some point in time like during our lives um and she didn't know her father so it's like you know those kind of situations like those dynamics they there's so many unspoken in there and they just don't get talked about and then you have resentment you have You know, so many different things that go into that that just don't get talked about.
0: And and probably adoptive parents, especially adoptive mothers, they may not even realize they're doing it. Exactly. Because in their mind, I want, I love you. I want, you know, I want to be your parent. I wanted a child. Exactly. But then they're projecting and not even realize they're projecting.
1: Yeah. And so I give my adoptive mother grace because the trauma of, um, losing a child, that's something that I've had to deal with in my own life. And I don't wish that on anybody, like having to, um, to know what that feels like.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: that, when that happened to me, I was able to really even more empathize with her.
0: Now, um, did your, your adoptive mother, um, suffered a miscarriage? She did. Okay. She had like a, I think more than one like and like
1: oh. a really late term one Oof. Okay. Um, yeah so that's hard too right like having a late term yeah um, miscarriage is, is really difficult for sure oh yeah yeah
2: Listen.
1: And so, but being that part in her you know like that made yeah. her so hard um that she just was like she was like an emotional wall she never emoted at all, I don't know that in all my years, I've maybe seen her cry, like, I don't know, two or three times
2: mm. at best.
1: Yeah. She was very unemotional. Coco.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All of that. All of that. I want to end with this. I want you to speak to the adoptees. If you had anything to say to the adoptees, what would you say?
1: If I had anything to say to adoptees, it is speak your truth. It is speak it. Speak it loud. Speak it to the walls. Speak it to your pillows. Speak it. Just speak. Because a lot of times that's the problem is that like we get conditioned as adopted people to not share our stories, to not speak what's inside of us. And the minute I did that, the minute my life changed, it changed so much for the better. So speak your truth whenever you get a chance, yell it, scream it from the rooftops, because that right there, there's so much healing and being able to tell your story. And it's
0: therapeutic for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. Y'all, yeah, sure, no, yeah. family, <laughs> well, please go follow her Instagram, yes, follow me. the Black Adoptee, and it's T E A. Yeah. Yep, yeah. <laughs> like tee t- Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes, oh yes. my gosh!
2: Thank you.
0: Whoo! I wasn't ready so for that ride. I'm never ready for these rides. Thank I you. never ever know what you all are going to come here and tell me. And <laughs> it's always it's always different. It's always fascinating, and that's why I love doing this because yes. I I want to help people to speak your story so because it's so
2: important so much
1: it's so, so important. important these platforms are very very important um, yeah. so that we can be heard so thank you and all the people who hold um the space for us adoptees to just
0: absolutely tell our story yeah. absolutely yes. all right y'all well right. <laughs> it's been another <laughs> Ooh, another episode of the Adoption Journey podcast. And until next week, bye family. All right, we'll
2: see ya.